Our reading this morning is taken from the letter of Paul to the Galatians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 14, and can be found on page 185 of your Pew Bible. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you had heard? Are you so foolish? Having started with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by your believing in what you heard? Just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, so, you see, those who believe are descendants of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. For this reason, those who believe are blessed with Abraham who believed. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the one who is righteous will live by faith. But the law does not rest on faith. On the contrary, whoever does the works of the... Sorry, two pages... Whoever does the works of the law will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning, everyone. I'm going to pray uh, before I speak, so let's pray together. Gracious God, uh, thank you for all that you give us. Thank you for that gift of new life we've celebrated this morning. Thank you for the gift of your word. And as your spirit spoke in writing that word, we pray that he would speak to our hearts and minds as we reflect upon it this morning. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. How can I be sure that faith is enough? Uh, You may have noticed uh, during Rosie's baptism that we spoke an awful lot about faith. Uh, We said that Rosie is beginning her journey in faith and that we're trusting God for her growth in faith. Yes, I'm talking about you. 
Because as Andrew reminded us, faith is a gift, is the gift of God to his people. That's the words we use. And her parents and godparents, we've promised to draw her by our example into the community of faith. And then Andrew prayed for Rosie that she would not be ashamed to confess the faith of Christ crucified. But faith seems a very small and weak thing. You can't touch it. You can't uh, describe it very easily. And you might be tempted to ask, is faith really all I need to be right with God? I mean, surely I had better add, as well as my faith, maybe I'd better add a few good works just to be sure. And then maybe while I'm at it, I really ought to try to be as religious as I can just to, to kind of top up my account with God. Because faith is all very well, but surely I need more than that. But last week we heard a key verse from this letter to the Galatians in the previous chapter. You might want to cast your eye across to it. It's chapter 2 and verse 16. And it makes it clear that being right with God isn't about what we do. It's not about our good works and it's not about our religion. It's about putting our faith in Jesus Christ. What makes us right with God isn't what we do. It's our faith in what he has done for us. Well, that's all very well, but how can we know that? How can we be sure of that, given that faith seems such a weak and inadequate, intangible thing? Well, in these verses that Shirley read for us, I want us to notice Three proofs that Paul gives that faith is enough. A proof he gives from experience, a proof he gives from scripture, and a proof that he gives from history. Or or you can put it another way, you can know that faith is enough because you have received, because Abraham believed, and because Christ was cursed. You can know that faith is enough because you've received, because Abraham believed, and because Christ was cursed. Well, let's look at them one at a time. First of all, you can know that faith is enough because you have received. That's in verses 1 to 5 of that reading from Galatians chapter 3. It's page 185 if you're wanting to follow along. This first proof that Paul gives us is from the Galatians' experience. He he gets them to look back at their own experience by asking them a series of questions. Even though he knows the answers, he wants them to think about what's happened to them. You see, Paul came and visited the various churches in Galatia. He founded those churches, and he founded them by preaching the gospel to them. He did it so vividly, so clearly, he presented them with the message of Christ crucified, that it was as if they could see Jesus in front of them. There on the cross. And he explained to them that this man, Jesus, was not just a man, that he was God himself. And that as that man who was God was crucified, he had brought to the Galatians hope and life and forgiveness. That even though that crucifixion had taken place hundreds of miles away, that it had an effect potentially for those Galatians. That's the message that that, uh, Paul brought. And as he brought that message, as they heard him say it, they believed it. They believed what Paul told them about Jesus and they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And when they did that, something amazing and miraculous happened. Paul says they received the Spirit. 
In other words, God himself, God the Holy Spirit, came to them and gave himself to them. And in their case, you could actually see that it had happened because God began to do amazing miracles through his spirit among them. And it sounds as though he's still doing that amongst them, even as Paul writes. And just imagine that for a minute. That might have been absolutely amazing. If if that's how you entered into the Christian faith, it would have shaped your faith forever, surely. If, If you were present when God was doing miracles in a church, you would never forget it. And so Paul draws on that really powerful memory, that unmistakable sign that God had come to them. And Paul says, did God do that after you'd been keeping the law? Did did he put you on some kind of probationary period and make you earn it? Did did he say, okay, it's fair enough, you believe at the moment, um, but I'll just hold my spirit back until I've seen you keep going for a few weeks, a few months, and then I'll come and do these things. And as Paul asked the Galatians, their answer, every single one of them would have been no. No, that happened straight away. By his spirit, God gave himself to those Galatian Christians at the very beginning. At the moment they believed, they heard what Paul had said. They responded with faith and God gave himself to them. Just like that, in less time than it's already taken me to speak. And Paul says, do you see? Do you see what what happens to you foolish Galatians? I love it when Paul gets upset. It's always entertaining. You you foolish Galatians, don't you see? You didn't need all this law-keeping stuff at the beginning in order to make God come to you. You didn't need it. You heard, you believed, and he came. And that that was all it took. So if that's all it took then, why do you think you need to add to it now? You didn't earn it when you first believed, so why do you think you have to earn it now? And of course the same is is true for us. We may not have had that experience of God doing obviously miraculous things, although every time someone becomes a Christian, that is a miracle. But most of us, I mean some of us would have witnessed actual miracles of healing or whatever it might be. But most of us, I'm guessing, probably haven't. But, but the point stands, by his spirit, God gives himself to every single Christian. You say, we may not see obvious miracles as a result, but every Christian receives God's Holy Spirit the moment they believe. The moment you believed and became a Christian, God gave himself to you as the Holy Spirit. And it may not be spectacular, but you will Notice, you will see God at work in you. Maybe he draws you to church when you didn't want to go before. Maybe he helps you pray, or maybe he gives you a desire to read the Bible, even though you find it difficult. Maybe he helps you to battle that sin that keeps dragging you down. Maybe he makes you more aware, opens your eyes to things in your life that need to change as you follow him. Whatever it may be, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, by his spirit, God gives himself to you and you start to change. Now, if you have that by faith from the start, why do you think you need to add to it now? Faith is enough. Your experience proves it. Secondly, Paul brings our second proof You can know that faith is enough because Abraham believed. That's there in verses 6 to 9. And this time Paul is taking us to scripture, uh, which 
to his original readers would have meant the Old Testament. Uh, Just an aside, it's another one of those many, 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 many occasions when we see that the Christian faith expressed to us in the New Testament is rooted and growing out of the Old Testament. Christians should love and dive deep into the Old Testament because that is where our faith was first revealed to us. So there it is. Paul takes us to to, to Scripture, right back to early to the beginning, to the first book of the Bible as we now know it, Genesis chapter 15. And it's a moment where God is making a covenant, a binding promise with Abraham. And you see what he says, how he quotes from the Bible there. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. God made a promise Abraham believed it, and simply because he believed, God considered Abraham to be righteous. Does that pattern of things start to sound a little bit familiar? A bit like what happened to the Galatians? Paul preached, they believed, God sent his spirit. God made a promise, Abraham believed, God counted him as righteous. It it was as if Abraham had a righteousness account And God made a massive transfer into it. And the balance went from negative to massively positive. And this was better than PayPal. This was better than Western Union. Because it happened absolutely instantly. Whether there was internet available for Abraham or not. It's a massive instant transfer. So that his balance in his righteousness account goes from way through the floor to far above anything you could imagine. And Abraham is right at the beginning, pretty much, of the story of God's dealings with human beings. This is, this is the beginning of the family of faith. You see, God was making people righteous long before he gave the Ten Commandments. He was making people righteous long before there was a temple or a tabernacle, long before there was circumcision. And he wasn't doing it on the basis of Abraham's religion. He didn't say, if you worship me like this long enough, I will make you righteous, Abraham. He wasn't doing it on the basis of good living. He didn't say, Abraham, here's the rules. If you can keep them, I will declare you righteous. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He was doing it on the basis of faith and faith alone. You see, Paul's gospel, the gospel, is not a change in how people get right with God. It's not as though they used to get right with God one way and then Jesus came along and changed it. It's always been by faith. Faith has always been enough. And if that is how God relates to Abraham, that is how he will relate to you, whether you live in Galatia or Gloucestershire. Faith is enough. Scripture proves it. And then lastly, that third proof that Paul brings. You can know that faith is enough because Christ was cursed. And this time, faith, Paul is turning to history, to recent events when he's writing this. But he begins with another quote from the Old Testament, this time from Deuteronomy, which is another one of those books of the law that so many people in Galatia were fond of. Has that quote there in verse 10 of our reading in chapter 3 of Galatians. Do you see what it says? Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. 
If you've made up your mind that you're not going to come to God with faith, then you're going to have to try to come to him by keeping the rules. But the thing is, you're going to have to keep all of them. And you're going to have to keep them fully. And you're going to have to keep them all the time, all of your life. And the law itself says that if you don't do everything the law requires, then you are cursed. If you are relying on doing the right thing to make you right with God, let me tell you, I'm afraid you are onto a loser. It is not going to work for you because you cannot obey all the law. You will not. You have not. You do not. Don't think of yourself at your best when you're pretty close to keeping it. But remember those moments when you were at your worst. You cannot get it all right. And the law itself says if we don't keep the whole law, then we're under a curse. And that curse is the the curse that God himself brings on sin. It's not simply just cause and effect. God himself is absolutely and definitely set against all evil, all wrongdoing, all unkindness. And he doesn't just do that from the sidelines. He's not like me who sort of scrolls through Twitter or whatever it is, says, I disapprove of that. See me disapproving. Yeah, there's nothing I can do about it, but I want you to know I disapprove. He's not like us sitting in the pub over a pint and putting the world to rights, when actually we're not putting the world to rights at all because the world doesn't do what we say. That's not how God judges sin. He actively gets involved and judges it. He punishes all evil, all unkindness and all wrong, sooner or later. And anyone who does any of those things faces his punishment. They are under God's curse. And so if we're trying to make ourselves right with God, we are going to fall short and we are going to fall under his curse. That is the natural position of human beings in a fallen world. But the amazing truth of scripture is that that's not where the story ends. God could have left it like that and he'd have been perfectly good and just and righteous. But he wanted to do more than that. And he did do something amazing in history in order that that curse could be lifted from us. And this is what he did. Jesus became the curse for us. Let me ask you a question. This is rhetorical, but I want you to think of an answer. Who would you say is the most sinful person in the whole of human history? I mean, I'm thinking there's the obvious suspects. There's Hitler. There's Stalin. There's Pol Pot. There's those who are creating war in the world at the moment. Maybe you would think of a a serial killer or an abuser. Let me tell you who the most, the most sinful person in the whole of human history was Jesus Christ. The most sinful person in the whole of human history was Jesus Christ. Now, he didn't commit a single sin of his own. He's the only person in history who kept that law perfectly. But on the cross, he took on our sin. Not just the sin of one person, but the sin of many, 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 many people. And so he became sinful. 
more sinful than anyone else has ever been or ever could be. Jesus took our sin and with that he took on that curse that we would be under. Do you see how these verses put it? Verse um, 13, just over the page. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And so he's done it. We are redeemed and reconciled, not because we've done good things, but because Christ has redeemed us from the curse by dying on the cross. And because he's done that, we don't need to add to that. We can't. You cannot add to it. It's perfect and complete. What we have to do is trust in it and accept that he's done that for us. We must have faith. And that faith is enough. We can know that faith is enough from experience because of what we've received. We can know it from scripture because of what happened when Abraham believed. And we can know it from history because of what happened when Christ was cursed. If you ever wonder how to begin the Christian life, faith is enough. Faith is enough to begin the Christian life because Christ is enough. If you, can, if you ever wonder how you can possibly pray to God and know that he hears you, faith is enough because Christ is enough and he has brought you into the Father's presence. If you ever wonder, as you go on in the Christian life, if you need something more, some new fad or habit or practice to top up your standing in God's eyes, then know that faith is enough because Christ is enough. And if you ever wonder how God could possibly smile on you, if you ever wonder how God could call you his child, how he could love you, in spite of the very worst of you. If, he could, if you wonder how he could possibly guarantee right here and now that you will live with him in bliss forever, no question, no doubt, no uncertainty, free from any fear, any pain, any curse, it's because faith is enough, because Christ is enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you were not content merely to be just and leave us to the paths that we had chosen, but that you sent your Son to die on a cross for us. Thank you that as he died there, he became a curse for us and redeemed us from the curse of the law, that he brought us back from being lost and under your judgment. Father, I pray that you would help us today to have faith in him. Grant us faith if we've never had faith in him before. Grant us faith if we are struggling in our faith or doubting. Grant us faith if we are in pain, anxiety or doubt. Father, thank you that it is not about what we have done, but what you have done for us.
Give us joy in knowing that is the measure of your love for us today and always will be. And help us to receive it with gladness and with faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.